The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Welcome, everybody, to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour. How low do we go? That is the question as stocks sink yet again. Rates around the world continuing to surge. We'll discuss all of the ramifications for your money with the Investment Committee. Joining me for the hour today, Shannon Sakosha, Jenny Harrington, Steve Weiss, Joe Terranova. Let's get right to it. Check the markets this hour, 12 noon. We're just past that. Dow did fall below its June intraday low. It's currently sitting there. S&P, NASDAQ, a little bit of ways to go to get there, uh, but still 2% losses for uh, those averages as well. Look at the Russell down 3% today. Uh, they've gotten destroyed this week. And really, from the moment that the Fed presser happened, uh, the Russell was not the same. Uh, the IWM is down more than 7% since then, as Bespoke was talking about today. The dollar is ripping. Steve Weiss, uh, pick your poison to talk about today. Uh, you've seen this coming from a mile away. Yeah, and as I mentioned yesterday and last week, I'm, I'm that short. And uh, I don't see it getting better anytime soon. And, you know, every time somebody says, hey, buy here, or hey, we're near the bottoms. First of all, it's ridiculous to call bottoms or tops. I get that, they say that. But yet they're saying buy here. To me, buying stock here is like running into a burning house and hoping the fire department comes and saves you before you turn into barbecue. So that's just a bad investment strategy. There are some points in cycles where you want to be very long the market, and typically that's when the Fed has your back when you have that Fed put. Now, the other times are when you want to manage your risk and just protect your capital and live to play another day. So, as I've said repeatedly, I'd much rather miss the 10% bounce, which I don't see coming for months and months, than continue to lose money. So that's why I'm net short. Look, I think the news we got from the UK today, and uh, you know, I'm, I'm short Europe through, through the iShares, I-E-U-R, uh, is just astonishing. We're in an inflationary environment. Inflation is killing them, and they're fueling the fire. We've done some of that here as well. So until you get, and Steve Leisman was great at this, until you uh -huh. get fiscal policy managing with monetary policy, then it's just going to exacerbate the downside. And keep yeah, no, I hear you. I mean, you're, so you're, you're putting forth a very much. I, I got you. Um, don't fight the Fed is, is basically the message that you have. Uh, Joe, exactly. you know, I see you're a seller uh, of some things here and things that you once loved, okay? Um, Lululemon, you sold it on the close on mm -hmm. Wednesday afternoon. Uber, you sold on the close on Wednesday afternoon. Uh, and Uber, to many, had seemingly found new life in this market, but maybe mm -hmm. nothing has it at this moment, no matter how much you like it. So first of all, in each of those instances, you're trying to tr uh, protect what was profitable trades. But the reasoning behind selling on Wednesday afternoon was I think it was very clear to everyone after listening to Chairman Powell that there was a dynamic shift. And because of that dynamic shift, I think now the thesis in which you could say, well, the consumer's strong and earnings have been strong, I don't think you could maintain that thesis. I think there's an extreme degree of uncertainty. I think the market knows inflation is going to be stubbornly high. I think the market knows yields are going to rally because the Federal Reserve is going to administer medicine to bring down and combat inflation. But now I think you have to call into question earnings and the fact that as we move forward, earnings estimates, earnings revisions are going to have to come down dramatically. So both of these companies, Scott, they're consumer facing. I think the consumer is going to have some challenges. You have to protect yeah. some profits and you have to respond to what you're seeing in the market right now, I mean, which today is a classic liquidation day. Yeah, I mean, your, your analogy to, to, to medicine, um, I, I hear what you're saying. I, I feel like it's a little off. It's more like a hammer. 
Uh, you need medicine when you're sick. Yeah. The fact of the matter is the economy yeah. is, is too strong. It's too healthy in some respects. And that's why the Fed is telling you they're going to bring a hammer. And as long as they're doing that, Shan, and you've got a Dow that's down nearly 600 points here, as we said, it's below the June intraday low. How bad do you think the markets need to get before buyers simply say enough is enough? Too oversold, time to buy what you like. I've made my list the whole time here and it's just time. Well, I think that capitulation can come in a number of different arenas. I mean, I think that we are going to talk a little bit later in the program about technicals, and I think that there are some levels that a lot of institutional investors are looking at there. I think the question is really, you know, to your point about a hammer, um, I think the Fed's been chipping away at consumer demand, and obviously they haven't been able to make a firm impact on bringing down consumer demand in order for inflation to come down. And I think that that, that flip, that that K-shaped recovery that we've seen and the divergence between higher income households and lower income households, I do think that's beginning to narrow. And so I think the Fed is going to extract pain on the economy because the only way that they know how to bring inflation down is by forcing a recession. My question, Scott, is really around the timing of that recession. We've got 11 million job openings. We've got 3.7% unemployment. Um, We need to move from a, a net job opening to, you know, several million people losing their jobs in order to get to the type of economic pain that I think the Fed is looking to inflict. And that is a really Mm -hmm. challenging prospect for the first half of next year. So I think it's around the timing. I think it's around, do we get producer prices coming down at the type of clip that can actually generate some improvement in CPI? But more importantly, do we get a Fed that really is data dependent or are they so locked in on this dot plot that they released this week that there is not going to be any deviation in the first quarter of 23? Okay, so Jenny, Shannon raises a good point, okay? And it's the the question of, does the timing matter? Barry Bannister yesterday suggests that there's a window that investors have, that the market in the fourth quarter of of this year and in the early part of, of next year can actually go up because we do have a window. Things are strong enough. There are some counterintuitive things in there which can lead to stocks having a decent little run before reality sets in and the you-know-what hits the fan of a recession? Well, okay, so I think, yes, that's true on Windows, and that's always where we get back to time frame. But let's actually narrow in on that recession. And I was writing that down when Shannon was saying it, which is the Fed, she said the Fed needs to extract pain. I would argue that they already have extracted massive pain. And she said they need to trigger a recession. But I think this is really where the nuance comes in. And, And we need to ask ourselves, what kind of recession are we talking about? Is it a long, deep, painful, um, broad-based recession? Or is it a bit more like what Ed Yardeni has been arguing? Is it a series of rolling recessions? Can we get through this without a broad-based recession that extracts just colossal pain all at once for everyone? Or can we have a recession in employment? Can we have a recession in housing? Do those need to all happen at once? I don't know, no one knows, the Fed doesn't know, but this is what we're working through. And then that's where Shannon made a really good point, which is will the Fed really be data dependent or will they be dug in? I've been for a long time and continue to to be in the camp that they will be data dependent. Um, Getting back to the windows, Scott, I think this is really interesting. I saw a really, really fascinating statistic earlier this week, which as it turns out, like we can look at the market and we can say, oh, it's overvalued still, it's trading at 16 times earnings. We think that's too much. But if you look at the median, the median multiple of the S&P 500, it's at 14.3 times right now. And that suggests that the pain, that there's already been tremendous pain delivered. Brian Sullivan had a really interesting, um, random but interesting statistic the other morning where he showed that $3 trillion has, has come out of market cap, has come out of the market in five stocks alone. So as right. I'm looking at this, I'm seeing that significant pain has already been delivered, that significant reconciliation has already happened. And so I think, yeah, we could bottom, we could have a nice little rally. I don't think that's like yesteryear's rallies where it's all sunshine and rainbows and huge plus 20%. 
But I, I think the worst is probably over. And one thing, I want to argue with Steve, well, where he said, of course I want to argue with Steve, but where he said, you can't wait for, like, you can't, we haven't been at the bottom. You can't buy now. You can't buy stocks now. The bottom's not in. You know where I stand on this, is which, which is you can always buy stocks because not everything bottoms at once. And tremendous opportunity is out there. For me as a portfolio manager, I'm like lit up. And I know that there's pain. I know people are hurting. But there's more for me to do right now. There are more great investments to make right now than I've had in the better part of a year. So I'm actually okay. having fun, even though the conversations are hard. You're having fun. Okay. You Maybe you're one of the few. Uh, and I'm going to come back to you, and I'm going to press you. If, you, if, if you're having fun and, and there are stocks to buy always, I'm coming back to you uh, at some point in the show today to great. find out what you're buying. If, I want to see if you're putting your money where your mouth is. Uh, anyway, Weiss. Uh, Jenny threw that at you. She said explicitly she wants to argue with you. So what's your comeback to that on a day where um, some think it's going to get worse? David Costin, Goldman Sachs, reduces his target for the year to 3,600. Now, I'm sure there are some snickers out there who say, well, we're, we're there now. Um, the question is on earnings. Or is it going to get worse? We're going to get 8% earnings growth next year? Nah. That sounds like a heavy lift. And I'm looking at the Dow now. We're at session lows, down 625 on the Dow again. We've taken out the June lows in the Dow, uh, not so on the S&P and the NASDAQ. But Weiss, uh, you, the response to Jenny is what? Yeah, well, Jenny, the response is thank you, because I couldn't have asked for a better setup. And I'm going to go back to your, <laughs> to your response, which is the economy is still strong. So yes, from a perspective of being just a stock market investor, You've seen tremendous pain. Look at where the markets are. But Powell's got more tools in his shed and more of a focus than just seeing what, what the markets are doing, which is part of economic policy. What you haven't seen in terms of pain is in the economy. So you've seen it for a segment of the population, but it's getting worse and worse. And that's where he's got to extract the pain. The pain's got to be in the labor force, in the jobs numbers. So it's like everybody says, and we had in the show yesterday, hey, everybody knows rates are high. Everybody knows Powell's doing this. But typical, and this conversation, no offense, Jenny, is that people aren't focusing on what the impact of all those moves are away from just the stock market. And that's why I'm so negative. So I would say the stock market here is a leading indicator and still overvalued because, yeah, the P.E. may be 14.3 on a median basis. And statistics, you can pick any of them to justify your case or to mitigate against your case. But the so facts Weiss. are that we don't know where the E is and earnings are coming down. Period. So, end of story. So let me do this. So what in your mind then, Steve, is the level where you would get more constructive on stocks? There has to be at some point you look at things and say, OK, I've been negative the whole way since the beginning of the year and I've been right. Now stocks have come down enough that I feel like there's enough opportunity to take advantage of. There's got to be a number in that head somewhere. And from the conversations that you've had since you talk about every day with this goat and that goat and whatever. But w give me a number. Like, where's the level? Actually, I can't give you a number because I don't because it's driven by circumstance. It's not driven by levels on the S&P or NASDAQ. What's the circumstance? And, and the Tell me what to look for. Well, the What's the circumstance? Sure. The, the, circum the circumstance is that we had a globally coordinated free money policy, and now we've got a globally coordinated, ex the UK for now, uh, tightening policy. And we just don't know how that's going to turn out. We've never seen central bank balance sheets as inflated as they are now. Nine trillion in the U.S. versus pre-2008, less than a trillion. Something's got to happen there. So the circumstance is when you see that maximum pain, when you see the you know, unemployment rate go to four or 5%, and I think 5% is really the target, when you see companies owning up to it and cutting estimates, right now everybody's still focused on, well, we're gonna see earnings grow 8% next year. So when you get rid of that delusionary viewpoint, then, and people own up to what's going on, and Costin's target is 3,200, not 3,600. And Belsky comes out and says, hey, it's not going to be 4,600. And Tom Lee comes out and says, hey, you know what? Maybe it's not this year. That's what I'll do. But everybody may say they're bearish, may tip their hat to it. When in fact, if you look at what they're doing and the whites of their eyes, they're still bullish and still 
Everybody if, coming on the show says, okay. my final trade is buy this. When they stop saying that, that's when I'll be thinking okay. about turning. If, if, if you think that the Fed is actually going to do what it says, right, if the actual bite is as big as the bark, and the jury is, in some respects, still out on that, as our halftime headliner will argue right now. Professor Jeremy Siegel of the Wharton School, he joins us right now. Professor, it's good to see you again. Uh, what are your thoughts as we watch these lows of June uh, at least be taken out from the Dow standpoint? And maybe uh, in the days ahead, we find the other major averages in the same precarious place. Yeah, certainly. Uh, you know, Scott, I find it very amusing. A year ago at that September meeting, when we had booming commodity prices, when housing prices rising at the fastest rate in post-war history, uh, when we had all commodities going up at rapid rates, uh, Fed uh, Chairman Powell and the Fed said, we don't see any inflation. We see no need to raise interest rates in 2022. Now, when all those very same commodities and asset prices are going down, he sees, uh, you know, stubborn inflation that requires the Fed to stay tight all the way through 2023. Makes absolutely no sense to me whatsoever. Way too tight. We do not have to get anywhere near that level to stop inflation because all the inflation is basically stopped. It's basically stopped. I mean, you had a headline just came across three minutes ago. Oil back to January levels. That's before Russia invaded Ukraine. You can see what's happening to commodities. We're going to get the K-Shore uh, index next week. It's going to show no increase or a decrease for the first time in years. And that's a lagged indicator. On the ground, commodity, all the prices are going down. The only thing that's not going down is wages. And by the way, wages are in catch-up mode. Don't, don't argue they're pushing inflation. They're lagging inflation. I mean, the workers are trying to get what <laughs> a little bit back uh, of, uh, of what the inflation happens to be. I think the Fed is just way too tight. They they're going to they're making exactly the same oh. mistake okay. on the other side that they made a year ago. There are uh, there are those who agree with you who think yeah. that the Fed is is oversteering. Yeah. But saying Absolutely. it, but saying it doesn't do anything for the scenario that we're currently in. If they continue to do it, whether you think it's right or wrong, if they continue to do it, what does yeah. it mean for stocks? Well, it, you know, until he sees the light and says, you know what, I don't think we have to be so tight. <laughs> um, that, you know, until, until that happens, you can st still have pressure on, on stocks. I mean, and, and, and that's gonna, you know, that's probably one of the factors that can see the light. I mean, when he sees how high real rates have gone, the dollar the highest in 20 or 30 years. By the way, next Tuesday, we're gonna get the, the monthly uh, stock market, uh, money supply data, which is gonna show the greatest decline in five months that we've had in the post-war period. I mean, if he looks at any of the monetary or financial indicators, he can't say, oh, we have to keep them on. I mean, at his press conference, he said, we have to get real rates in the positive territory. They're in positive territory for every maturity. For the first time in so years, we're already there. Um, I mean, I, so, I did. I thought that was the most uninformative. Uh, I mean, and, and no one was asking him the, the, the hard question. How do we have 3.2 million new workers and GDP going down? What, 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 is, what does that mean? What does the record decline in the money supply mean? I mean, what is what does the collapse in commodity prices mean? What is the lag construction of of the of these housing indicators that are 40 percent of the core inflation, which you know, are, are are going to are going to filter through inflation for the next 12 to 15 months? Is that what he's looking at? Why is he looking at that? Um, that's not an accurate view of what in housing inflation is. I mean, I, w w there were no hard questions. They, you know, there, there were 50 reporters there. I don't know. They basically said, you know, repeat the statement you made at the beginning. There's so many things I ask him. What is he actually looking at? I mean, he's looking at three-month annualized core inflation that is a lag. 
well, we all look at market. I mean, look at what does the stock market do? It looks at market-oriented data. And that's what Professor, the Fed should be looking at. I don't know that I've seen you this animated. You seem down. I am very upset. At yes, I am. I am. I, I, I'm afraid it's like a pendulum. They were way too easy, as I've told you and many others through 2020, 2021. And now, oh, my God, you know, we're going to be real tough guys until we crush the economy. I mean, that that is just to me absolutely um, poor monetary policy would be an understatement. I mean, look, I think I, I'm watching, I'm watching Twitter. I know it's a it's a it's only a small sample size. I'm watching Twitter. and They're like, go, professor. You're right. Well, I mean, I, as, I think we're giving right. Powell. Yeah, honestly, we're giving him too much of a, you know, oh, good, he's standing against inflation. We're giving him too much praise. I mean, listen, the Fed has just, you know, executed the last two years one of the biggest policy mistakes in the 110-year history of the Fed by staying so easy when everything was booming and pointing to, my God, inflation is going to be a terrible problem. And now, oh, yeah, we did goof badly there, which he never really admitted I mean, he still blames some things on Ukraine and, you know, Putin and the supplies, even though oil is way below that level, way beyond that. And, and, and now we're, we're, we're saying, oh, my God, he's the God that's going to stop inflation and he's going to crush the wages, which have not kept, which have fallen behind inflation by three, four, five percent. You can't have cost push inflation when you're lagging inflation. You can't blame wages for inflation when they're two, three, four, five percent behind Inflation. Uh, I mean, the other why day is he putting the burden gonna, on the on these working people, the on day, the employed people? That's I mean, Professor, what is Fed, and, and every chair, other commodity price is going down. The the Fed chair gave you no indication the other day that they're stopping anytime soon. Um, they, I mean, that's he was right, pretty, and that's why was and that's why the stock market has that. cracked this week. He gave no indication that I mean, if he would have just said, "I see some favorable signs." like housing prices are not rising and actually they're falling or some little thing that our policies are working. I mean, he, he admitted, you know, there's long lags. Well, if he keeps as tight as he is, look at every market indicator, the dollar, the commodities, real rates, the money supply, everything is showing one of the tightest feds or intentions of feds that we've ever had. So what he says so there, and, and, he, and he says it works with the lag. Well, if he stays this way through 2023, you can, you know, be, make sure that there's a major recession on the other side. As I said, I mean, a, a lot of people agree with what you're saying, uh, including our own Jim Labenthal, who who uh, was in your class, uh, which, by the way, the Wharton School applications might be surging at this very moment from what I'm watching here. People who want to come uh, hear the gospel from you, sir. Um, so, look, we've had calls this week. Uh, Nouriel Rabini, for example, says you're going to have a, a horrible recession, right? And, and you could have a 40% decline or a 50% decline uh, in stocks. You've had others say that you're going, you could go to 3,000 on the S&P. What, what kind of number do you have in your head, if any? Well, I mean, listen, Powell and Fed are eventually going to see the light. I mean, they eventually... I mean, it took almost forever to see the light that inflation was not temporary. And then, you know, and then they made that change. They'll eventually see how tight they are. And just like none of their predictions of November 2021 came true, none of them, none of their forecasts, none of their dot plots, none of their forecasts of Fed funds came at all true. I don't think... Anything that they're saying for 2023 is going to come true either. I think they're going to really be forced to lower the rate and more rapidly than much more rapidly than they think. OK, so let's do this, Professor. Um, I'm going to let you catch your breath. OK, and uh, we're going to take a quick break. I'd love for you to stay with us uh, because uh, members of the committee, the investment committee, have questions for you. We also need to talk about some other stocks that are hitting new lows today, uh, ones that many of you own, Alphabet and Meta among them. We'll zero in on the tech wreck. We'll find out how to position from here. Shannon is making some moves in tech in her portfolio. I want all of you to hear about that too. We'll do it in two minutes.
Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Visit odfl.com to learn more. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. All right, you see the major averages here. Uh, we're at uh, pretty much session lows, uh, greater than 2% declines for everything in front of you, including the Russell 2000, which is down 3 and one third percent Bond yields around the world are up today, uh, for the most part, uh, for uh, all the reasons that all of you know. Policy moves by various central banks, uh, by certain administrations around the globe as well. And you put it all together, and that's the picture you have today uh, as the market tries to price in a more hawkish Fed. What they heard this week was certainly decidedly so, as you just heard the professor, uh, Jeremy Siegel of the Wharton School, discussing that. He's back with us. And I said we have questions from our investment committee members. Steve Weiss has the first one to you. Steve, go ahead. Yeah, well, well first of all, Professor, I, I feel like a Buddhist monk in my demeanor compared to the fire that you're coming out with today. Secondly, I want to apologize. Last year when you said that Inflation is going to be enduring, and I took issue with that. You are 100% right. Um, however, what you describe, and I'm not sure if you're calling for a Fed pivot or if you're, you're calling for one, but I'm not sure if you're seeing one out there. But isn't that even a greater risk to the market? Because you can't turn around that economic damage from tightening too fast too soon immediately. It's still got to filter through the economy. So that would make me even more bearish if you're right in your presumption that you're just doing way too much. Well, I think staying, you know, at four, you know, saying we're going to stay at four and a half percent Fed funds when prices on the ground are actually falling. I mean, that's a huge what we call real rate hike. One of the biggest we've had in history. That's really going to clamp down on spending investment. And I, I think I think the market anticipation is so strong that I don't think there's that danger. You're, you're, you're talking about worrying, as, as Fed chairman did, we're going to ease too soon. This is not a situation with Arthur Burns where, you know, he really never eased. Inflation kept on going up in the commodities. It kept on going up in housing. It kept on going up in, in gasoline and all the prices. We are not seeing that today. That's why I don't think it's a too early ease. And when I say ease, I mean, just say, you know, we won't have to maybe bring it much more than three and a half to four percent rather than now the market's pricing in four and a half to five percent. That's too high. That, in, in, in my opinion, far too high uh, to prevent uh, a, a, a recession. You're assuming, Professor, and this is Scott again, that the Fed cares about what the stock market is, is going to do. To me, well, uh, the worst nightmare would be that inflation remains high and at the same time you have a plunging stock market. What are they going to do in that respect? Well, you know, again, yeah. as we've, we've talked about, recorded inflation is, 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 especially in the housing sector, is so lagged in its construction. Even though we're going to see K-Shiller, houses on the price go down, you're going to see that housing part of the index, it's 40% of the core, go up. Which is, of course, what 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 uh, you know is 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 ironic because of the way they change that. So, are we really seeing inflation from today to six months from now? Do you really think there's going to be much inflation? Don't think about the past. I think we had 12 percent, 14 percent inflation in the past that was underreported. 
<laughs> and now we're going to have the over-reported as we bring it down. And if he only looks at what's actually recorded, he's going to over-tighten and, 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 and tank mm. the economy. And by the way, if, it's not just the stock market. Look at, you know, people's housing prices, you know, which had gone up. I mean, <laughs> you know, they're going to see that sink 10, 15 percent. Mortgage rates are, are going to go. I mean, they're already over six. They're going to go to seven. And people are already saying, you know, prices are already so high. Wow. I mean, we had the biggest three-month decline in the National Association of Housing Builders Index in history, greater than during the financial crisis from the February data to what we have today. So sentiment has already collapsed in that sector. I, I just we're want to not, let, I mean, let We're not an Arthur Burns. He's not going to be an Arthur. He's afraid he's going to be an Arthur Burns. And, you know, I, I, I'm not going to uh, loosen too early. He doesn't realize how much tightening has already taken place. I just want to let people know that if the S&P 500 closed uh, right here, it would be a new closing low below the, the June lows. Um, right. We're below that level where it closed on June 16th. That closing low was 36.66 and change. So we're a few points below that June closing low for the S&P at this particular time. Let me ask you this, Professor, before I let uh, Joe get in on this conversation, too, because I know he has a question for you. If all of this is so obvious to you, right? I mean, come on, Powell's not an idiot. You could take issue with some of the things that they've done. Why isn't it so obvious to him? Well, Scott, you know, I, I've been teaching monetary theory and policy and studying for 50 years. I mean, Jerome Powell actually doesn't come from, econ the economics comes from the finance background where he's very skilled. Um, uh, and a lot of the people on the Fed uh, have not come from the monetary backgrounds, which to me, I thought would have, someone should have raised their voice a year ago. I mean, it's so, uh, it's, it's just like, it's so obvious now someone should have raised their voice. No one dissented and said, what we're doing is crazy in 2021, supporting the biggest housing market boom and everything else. Uh, and and I really, I'm so disappointed that the Fed, um, that the, the Fed doesn't seem to be responding to what I see has been you know, received monetary policy and theory for so many years. I think it's I been can, a big I can failure. already hear, though, I can, I'm, that criticism has been levied by others, too, but I can already hear what the other side would be. If he came from the monetary side, people would say, oh, he knows nothing about the market. He knows nothing about what the impact on, on the markets is going to be by their policy. I know that, you know that, and everybody listening knows that there would be that out there, too, that this guy doesn't know anything about markets because he's never worked in markets and we've heard that well, before in you times need to of know both. when you need to know both this how, how could you ignore the biggest money supply expo explosion in u.s history and and go on in congressional testimony senate testimony say we don't believe the money supply is important just a month ago he's at the cato institute i think you 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 guys actually carried his testimony saying oh yeah our studies are that money isn't isn't important. Well, I hate to tell you, but inflation is the price of money. And to say money isn't important when you're talking about the price of that very item seems to me to be counter logical at the extreme. So Joe Terranova, I mentioned, has a question for you. I'll let our viewers know as well as I look over to one of the boards here at the New York Stock Exchange and see a decline of 701 points on the Dow. Uh, we're showing you the live picture of it right now at our uh, our big board, if you will, back at our headquarters. And you see a 2.5% decline uh, at least uh, across the board. There's the Dow. Uh, it's down two and a third, but you got the picture from the S&P and certainly in the case of the Russell. Joe, what's your question for the professor? Well, uh, listen, fascinating conversation, Professor. And, and clearly last year when Chairman Powell told us everything was okay, we built in extreme optimism. Now nothing's okay, so there's extreme pessimism. Uh, but Professor Siegel, I had a conversation yesterday with one of your former students from the late 70s, Mark Fisher, and we were talking about the pricing of oil. And clearly the pricing of oil is not being affected so much by demand, but it's being affected by supply. Mark's view was that there are ways to incentivize supply growth, whether it be for farmers or for housing. 
From your perspective and through the histories of studying inflation, have you seen an inflation condition be so permanent when it can be so affected so easily by an adjustment in supply? And isn't that exactly what we have now? Well, I mean, there's no question that, you know, we, we gained energy independence, um, uh, what, three or four years ago for the first time in, what, 50, 60, 70 years? I mean, we would be in so much worse situation. We would be like Europe. I mean, Europe, which imports, what, 30 or 40% of their energy. We are basically energy neutral on that. And the, the ability to gain that, I agree with you, is extraordinarily important. And in agricultural, I mean, we have the ability to supply. Supply is extraordinarily important. But when you pour money on, 40% increase in money from March of 2020, when that pandemic began, and we had $9 trillion of stimulus financed by the Federal Reserve buying all that debt or most of that debt and throwing money at it, there's no way that supply can overtake that amount of, uh, of money and, and stop the inflation. Um, but we've had a lot of inflation. I think we've had you know, 15 to 20. And if you tighten so much to absolutely mm -hmm. eliminate, it's going to cause a terrible recession at the following end. All right, Professor, I'm going to let you run. Uh, I so much appreciate you. your time and your generosity with it today. Uh, we have such an unsettled and uncertain market. It's good to get your voice and be able to knock around a number of topics with you. Uh, by the way, Mark Fisher is going to be on overtime with me later. He may have graduated number one in your class. I don't know. I may have birdie a little <laughs> yeah. told, might have told me that. But nonetheless, uh, we're going to hear uh, from Mark Fisher today in overtime. Uh, markets, commodities, everything else uh, as well. We'll talk to Jeremy Siegel soon. We're going to take a break. We will talk about tech getting wrecked. We have some trades that we need to discuss as well. You'll want to hear about those. And, all, and next week as well, Halftime Report's going to be live from the most powerful investment event of the year. It's our own CNBC's Delivering Alpha event, Wednesday, September the 28th. I'm going to be interviewing Citadel's Ken Griffin later on in the afternoon. I'm looking forward to that. We have a great lineup. You can scan the QR code on your screen to register. Join that event in person. Has there been a better time, maybe a more important time, to listen to what some of the best investors and biggest thinkers in economics and financial markets have to say about these, this current period? I don't know about that. Don't miss it. Halftime's back after this. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Oh, we got a big sell-off, as all of you know uh, by now. And here's some of the mega cap stocks today. Microsoft, Alphabet, Meta. Uh, you got new 52-week lows uh, for Microsoft, uh, uh, Alphabet, Meta, Amazon. Over the last couple of days, uh, it's, been, it's been ugly, as, as we all know. Now, Shannon, I want to come to you, okay? You sold Meta. Talk to me. You, you've had ample opportunity to sell it before. Why sell it as it hits a 52-week low. You're right. We have had ample opportunity to sell it already. Um, I think this is really, you know, as a result of, of needing to make a decision, Scott, to either add to the position or let it go. It was at a size that really wasn't impactful to our overall portfolio. And frankly, you know, looking at the engagement numbers, um, the rebrand really hasn't helped those. Although, you know, I've been... Um, really thinking about the potential for the metaverse to be able to drive additional engagement and have this additional channel of monetization for Facebook in the future. And Meta is just not going to be able to benefit from that over the course of the next 12 to 18 months. And so for us, looking at an opportunity cost trade, being able to purchase another stock that was also down significantly year to date, essentially by the same amount, made a lot more sense to me than continue to hold on to it um, when I wasn't able to make it a full position from a conviction perspective. So, Jenny, you own Meta. What are you thinking about hearing Shannon talk about selling it? 
So Shannon mentioned a 12 to 18 month time frame. My time frame on this is much longer. We've owned it for a long time. We own it a lot cheaper than here. We have big, a big capital gain. But Scott, remember when we were on last week and Brad Gerstner joined us and he made a very strong mm-hmm. bull case on Meta? That is exactly our investment thesis, and I cannot do a better job than him in explaining it. So I would suggest the viewers go find the podcast and listen to that. He actually also, didn't. Also, I'm trying to buy myself he time. He actually didn't. Yes, he you did. You know, to be honest with you, Jenny, he Are didn't make uh, an, an exceptionally strong argument about Meta. He, he actually professed his exasperation about it for the first time maybe ever about what management wasn't doing what he wanted them to do. He put them on notice. I don't think he pounded the table in any way, shape, or form. I read that really differently. I read it as he's saying, here's a company that's fairly valued, that has tremendous ability to generate cash flow. People are misreading Mark Zuckerberg. And and for a very long-term holding period, he thinks that he will make significant money in the long-term continuing to hold it. Um, When I listen to that, I'm like, bam, bam, bam. You know, he's nailing all the reasons that we continue to hold it. But mostly, Scott, I'm trying to be fast because I really want to get back in on some comments on Siegel. So... (laughs) Okay, then go ahead. I don't want to. Get, I don't want to go more. Yeah, can I? Do you mind? Okay. Jenny, please. So this is moving away from from Facebook. Thank you. Okay, I'm 47 years old. I've been in this business since I was 19. The one thing I've learned is that everybody's rotten at forecasting. Everybody, the top strategists, me, you, everyone on the show, no one forecasts correctly. So when I listen to Professor Siegel talk about the Fed doing a rotten job of forecasting, he's right. But I think the most important thing he said is that they will eventually see and they will adapt. And what I've also learned is despite all the rotten forecasting, and Steve, you said something smart to me a couple weeks ago, which was I was kind of laying out math and you said that's fuzzy math. This whole business, and this actually does go to Facebook too, this whole business is predicated on fuzzy math and rotten forecasts. But with all of that, we are all trying our hardest to make good decisions. And I think that effort to try hard and make good decisions and pivot and adjust as we get more information, what that does collectively is it propels this stock market to greater and greater heights over the long term. So even though what Professor Siegel said to all of us I thought was quite jarring and unnerving, it doesn't have me at all rattled as an investor. And it doesn't change what I said earlier in the show saying I think that there's always good times to buy. I also heard him say, four and a half to five percent for Fed funds. That's exactly what we know. And how do we translate that to a 10-year treasury? And what multiple do we give that? So even though that was to me such an alarming and jarring um, delivery, it doesn't change what we're doing and it doesn't change the market and it doesn't change the fact that we will continue, continue to trudge upwards. So like, I really hope that our viewers don't watch that and feel like the sky is falling because it's not. This is just the normal course of action and nobody forecasts particularly well. All right, we are going to take a quick break. We'll come back with Santoli's Midday Word uh, that's just ahead. Plus, BTIG's Jonathan Krinsky, he said we were going to get to the June lows again fairly quickly. He said that a day or so ago. Uh, Now what? We're going to ask him next. We're going to have a quick conversation now with Jonathan Krinsky, BTIG's chief market technician. It's good to have you on because it was a day or so ago where you said we're going to get to the lows fairly quickly. Those, those were your exact words. So now what? Yeah, we're, uh, we're still looking for that intraday June low around 3640 S&P 500. I think more so than the absolute level, it's you know watching some of the other indicators if and as we get to that level. Um, you know, one of the things that's been lacking on, on this bear, entire bear market that we've seen at every major market bottom over the last 15 years has been that inversion in the VIX curve specifically looking at spot VIX relative to the second month future. We find they're getting a little bit of inversion today around one point, but typically you need to see at least a 10 point or more spread um, to signal a major low. So look, there's going to be some buyers, you know, nibbling around those June lows. That's just natural. Um, But ultimately, you know, if we don't see that big capitulatory flush, I think you're probably looking at the pre-COVID highs, which are around 3,400. What, what's, what does the capitulatory flush get us to like in your mind? What, What's reasonable to think about? You mean on the upside? No, on the downside. Well, you know, again, we're we're possibly in the start of it right now, right? So we're, you know, we're we're kind of testing those waters. Um, I don't know that it has to get down to thirty four hundred to get that signal. Probably not. Um, you know, there's some okay. some reason maybe thirty five eighty five to two hundred week moving average. We haven't tested that at all either during this bear market. So I think something undercutting the 
the June lows marginally would probably get us there. Um, but again, we'll see. It's it's one of those things. It's hard to anticipate too much ahead of time. It's it's more you know you'll know it when you see it. Yeah, I understand that. Um, I'm going to let you run. I've had a busy hour, and I still have more that I really want to get to. Jonathan, thank you so much. Jonathan Krinsky, uh, senior markets commentator, Mike Santoli has uh, sat down now for his midday word. Man, that was an epic rant from the professor uh, about the Fed. Uh, where do you want to take things? I mean, that all makes sense in terms of you have the, the micro where you have to just scrutinize the actual you know, market internals, the rhythms. Are we at extreme extremes? That's where we got to in June. We didn't get there in June because of any, you know, Fed messaging that things were going to get easier. It was because the market just went too far too fast. Now, I agree uh, with Jonathan about the fact that, you know, you have to see things build up a little bit to get to that point. Um, the dollar's dictating the action across mm. the world. Well, or whatever. It's the other currencies yeah. that are crashing against it that are dictating it. That'll get to, that'll burn itself out. There'll be a little bit of a of a spike peak there and then you see if that's a real relief or something more so i mentioned to you yesterday scott that you know i think four of the last five fridays have been rough we're in this mode where it just is much easier not to play uh and and so at some point i think people will have to feel as if they're missing something by by staying away and that's probably going to require yields in the dollar to settle down just a little bit and see if that lights a spark yeah and um, you said it i mean the, the dollar is ripping euro 97 the pound, yeah. 109. I mean, there's levels we just this haven't is one seen of these in days years where, and years and years. And, you know, the U.S. dollar index, as a lot of people look at, it's like 12% the British pound. It's like it's really overweighted to the pound sterling. But, yeah, everything is going in concert. Crude has a seven handle yeah. in front of it, which is jarring in some respects uh, to see. It's great for, obviously, what it means at the pump. It, it's probably telling a different story. Yeah. Uh, I mean, right about where demand may go. The VIX. Give me your take quickly on the VIX, yeah. right? Because one of the peculiar things about this whole recent period is the lack of a surge yes. in the VIX. And here it's just at 30 here now. Yeah, I mean, there's something a little bit structural and positioning going on with it. First of all, the main volatility is coming from fixed income getting repriced to generational highs in yield uh, and from currencies. And so th- if you look at the volatility indicators in those markets, they're kind of off the charts. Equities, it's been an eight-month grind lower. It's been full of three and four and five percent down weeks, not crashes. And it's it's sort of wound down the equity exposures of the big investors who would be buying 30-day downside protection in the VIX. That's not to rationalize that it makes sense to be here, but I get why. And, you know, yeah, we're breaking below where we were in June, or at least we've touched it. What does that mean? It means you've been in a five-month range. And so I think you have to have a little more in the way of actual index moves to jar the volatility index higher. Uh, Krinsky was talking about the VIX futures uh, setup. That is more telling of whether you're seeing near-term anxiety build up uh, than, it, than the absolute level of the VIX, which is not a traded instrument directly. All right. Uh, I'll see you in a few hours. Uh, yeah. We'll need your last word perhaps more, more than ever. Mike Santoli joining us here. Energy plunging, as I said. We're talking about oil right now. Energy's down 7%. Oil's below 80. We'll find out where that trade goes from here. Here, excuse me, plus final trades next. As I said, Mark Fisher, MBF Clearing CEO, former student of Jeremy Siegel. Joining me today in overtime, 4 o'clock Eastern. I hope you don't miss that. Joe Ternova is going to be around uh, again as well to see where this all shakes out today and what you need to watch for as we approach a new week. It uh, brings to mind, of course, what's happening in energy today. It's down 7%. It is the worst performing sector this week and this month. Uh, WTI is below 80, lowest level since January. Joe, give me your initial thought here as we think about what uh, this day and the weeks ahead might hold. So this this puts a stamp on exactly what type of day today is, and you've already defined the dollar and the VIX and the other indicators. The fact that energy equities are down 6.6% as we speak, natural gas is only down 4%, crude oil is down 5.5%, that's liquidation. That's exactly what this is right now. So you're seeing uh, liquidation, you're seeing sourcing of funds. You could even take it one step further. Look at Tesla and Netflix which in the last week, everyone has said these stocks are breaking out. So uh, this is a classic liquidation moment. Jenny, uh, you got Chevron, Devon, EPD, Energy Transfer, Kinder Morgan. I know you like yield plays when it comes to energy, but how concerned will you be if this slide in, in energy prices continues? So I'm not concerned. And Scott, I think the most important statistic that you left out in your returns was that they're still up 
the S&P part of the S&P 500, sorry, the energy part of S&P 500 is still at 41% year to date. These stocks still have tremendous returns. Most of them are trading as if oil is priced at $60 a share, which means that they are undervalued. And as long as oil stays above 60, they continue to mint cash. We actually had almost the same conversation back on August 4th. And look what happened. They were right where they are today. They ran way back up. They came way back down. You should play these names. And this is where Steve and I will argue about investable versus tradable. I say investable, he says tradable. But, th- but like they are gonna run up and down, but there's tons of money to be made. So do not be afraid of these movements. There, and we also know that the government is probably gonna start buying back the strategic petroleum reserve around 80. So that I think puts a floor under prices. There's money okay. to be made here and they're still undervalued. All right, uh, let's do final trades if we could. We got about 90 seconds, guys. Uh, to do that. Again, Dow's down 600. We know what we've done in terms of the June lows as it relates to the Dow. We're watching the S&P closely, too. Uh, Shannon, why don't you go first with the final? Sure. Um, Eaton, uh, this is tied to the infrastructure spending that's going to happen for the electrical grid. Um, there's a significant amount of upside in the price for us here, about 30 um, percent. And we really like the uh, the industrial exposure here, but to something that we think has a long way to go. OK, uh, thank you for that. Steve Weiss, what do you got? PSQ, which is short uh, the Nasdaq. I'm staying with it. You think tech remains uh, under pressure as long as yields are going up? The whole market does, and as long as the dollar is going up, we didn't even talk about the rising dollar impact of multinational earnings. And that's also what's driving oil down, oil, of course, pricing dollars. We we talk about it a lot. Uh, You know, we think about tech and names like Microsoft. Uh, Already told you once the impact on FX. If the dollar continues to get worse from the last time they talked about it, uh, there's part of your story, too. Joe? Low risk setup in dollar general, ticker symbol DG. You could buy it against 225. All right, quickly, Jenny. Lamar advertising, 5.7% dividend yield. Super safe business, even with the rough economy. All right, good stuff. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today.